0: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Art World Podcast. I'm Miss Art World, and I have my beautiful co-host, Lisa. Hey, thanks. (laughs) How's it
1: going, everyone?
0: (laughs) Um, Today, we have a really special guest with us. We have Ted Meyer here. How are you? I'm great. Um, So, Ted, you are a working artist living in Los Angeles. Correct. And I... Totally just reached out to you on Facebook. I think we're Facebook friends, but never actually met in person.
2: As many. As many (laughs) of my (laughs) friends are.
0: Um, So you have a really interesting story, and that's kind of why we reached out to you. Do you want to just start with your background and how you got into art?
2: Sure. Well, I've always done art. I was a little kid, and I would draw... When I was a little kid, just like lots of other four- and five-year-olds do, and I drew cars, and I drew spaceships, and dinosaurs, and and all the things that normal kids do. But I was also very sick, and I was in the hospital a lot, three to four times a year for long periods. And while I was in the hospital, there was a, a, a volunteer who sort of suggested to me at a young age that I should start incorporating my hospital experience into my artwork, and I don't remember exactly her wording, but it was something to the effect of, you know, other people can paint what's outside this room, but you might as well do what's inside this room, and we started using IV tubes and bandages and things like that uh, incorporated into my drawings at the hospital, and that led me to this whole idea that I could incorporate that part of my life into my art, and it lasted for years and years. So, I painted, I painted lots of beautiful things, but I also did work that had a strong narrative about my medical situation. And then, in my early 40s, the government, the US government, your tax money at work, came up with a, a treatment for the illness I had and basically took away all my symptoms. And all of a sudden I didn't have sort of my internal muse, so I didn't know what to do. And I started doing work about other people's illnesses, uh, using scars as a jumping off. I use scars, I make monoprints, I paint back into them with narrative elements of everybody's stories, uh, how they got the scar, and then, at a certain point, having had fifty or a hundred stories and hearing things that went well or not well with people's medical treatment, I approached some of the medical schools in town, suggesting I should work there, bringing in these stories somehow to the medical schools. And it landed up. Uh, I'm I'm based at University of Southern California at the Keck School of Medicine, and I have a whole program there that's been going on years now where I bring patient artists in to show their artwork and talk about their life experience and how their illnesses help them create artwork that would not have ever been created by a healthy person.
0: That's fascinating. That's so interesting. Uh, When you were cured, basically, um, did you have a period of your life that you were kind of lost in your art journey?
2: Yes. So, <laughs> well, first, it's, it's not a cure. It's, okay. it's just a for the last 18 years, I was taking an IV every two weeks. Wow. And it would give me the enzyme that I don't produce. Okay. And about a year ago, a year and a half ago, they came up with an oral pill. So mm-hmm. I take that twice a day. And that basically, it's it's sort of like a diabetic taking insulin. It just stabilizes my system to where things are not getting worse. But the one thing it did is it took away the fatigue. I had a lot of fatigue from this illness. I was always exhausted. I could have fallen asleep anywhere at any time. And once that was gone, sort of my artwork started changing and the thought that this illness would kill me was gone. So all of a sudden I went from doing sort of sad, dark, sort of morose images to colorful images. My color palette changed, my subject matter changed to things that were much brighter and more sensual. Um, And I always did funny work. I always sort of dealt with the fact I was sick by doing cutesy, almost illustrative work at times so I still kept doing that, but yeah, there was a certain point where I didn't know what to do anymore, which is how I landed up doing people's scars, because I really, I wanted to keep doing work about illness, but I didn't have anything left to say about my illness, and I was at an art opening one night, and a woman who used a wheelchair rolled into the gallery, and we had a long conversation. And she was telling me how her life changed when she broke her back, and she sort of got on my case and kept saying, you need to keep doing work about mobility issues, it's still part of you, just because you can temporarily walk doesn't mean this isn't a story you still have to tell. And I called her up the next day and thought, well, maybe I could tell her story and I had had some history doing fish prints, and I thought, well, if I can print a fish, maybe I could print a scar. And I also kept thinking of that famous Man Ray photograph with a woman that looks sort of like a cello from the back, and I thought, well, there's lots of images of backs in art history. Maybe I'll do a print of her back. And I did the print, and it was it was a pretty moving experience because as opposed to being separated from people when you're doing art and you're working on your campus, I was touching the person rolling paper ink on them pushing paper against them it's, and there's a sensuality that just the contact you're making with the people and then I showed it I used to live at the brewery uh, arts colony here in LA and I showed her print and two other prints at one of the art walks and people just kept coming up to me and they would unbutton their shirts and pull down their pants and everybody <laughs> wanted to tell me the story of how their scar had affected them and, but more so they wanted to tell me how they had survived from what had scarred them and that first time of showing the scars was really sort of gave me the direction for the project And there's a bunch of other scar projects out there. I'm not the only one doing this. Mine's been going on for a long time now. Um, there's, There's a number of projects about mastectomies and just general scar stories because it's always an interesting story. It's a major life event for people. Mine is very based on not so much how people got the scar but how they put their life together afterward because That sort of mirrors my story. I had an illness that I was told would kill me young, and it didn't. And then when they came up with this medicine, all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're not going to die tomorrow. You have an extra 30 years. So what do you do with those 30 years? So that's, I try to get that story from people. Like, you made it through the car crash. You made it through the cancer or the heart transplant. So what are you going to do with this extra time you've been given? How are you going to do something worthwhile with it? So... So my project, I leave the ink on the people when I do the prints, because I, I don't want people to focus when they, so it's a, let me go back, it's a three-part presentation. There's the story, there's a photo of the people with the ink on them, and then there's the monoprint of the actual scar. And if I had, I leave the ink on the people because I want I want the ink to serve as a geographic locator as to where the scar is on the body, but I don't want people to look at the body and go, oh, look how much damage has been done to the body. Look look how horrible that scar looks because to me, any scar means you're still above ground and you're alive. So there are other scar projects, especially some of the mastectomy projects that are very jarring because you see all the damage done to the body. And I really wanted to go another direction with this project. I wanted to make it colorful and happy, and the photos of the people are on the whole, you know, everything's very upbeat about this project.
1: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So your work at the medical center, is it this project full-time?
2: No, what I do at the medical center is, I, I got in there because of the scars. Mm-hmm. That was sort of my entree into it because I had all these stories and I went in with a proposal of like I want these first and second year med students to understand what their patients are going through and what I landed up doing is finding a stable of a lot of artists that do work about their illnesses Mm -hmm. and I bring them in and we tie, we give them art shows, there's a gallery in the medical school at USC and that gallery is now tied to the core curriculum of the first and second year medical students. Wow. So if the med students are studying respiratory illness, I will find an artist with cystic fibrosis or asthma that does work about the fact that they have asthma. I don't want, I don't want somebody with MS doing landscapes. No. I want someone with MS doing work about the fact yeah. that they have a neurological problem and then I show them during the neurological section mm-hmm. of the medical school. That's thing. incredible. And, and we pair the artist with, usually it's the head of that department mm-hmm. at the med school, so that the artist can give not only their life story of how the illness affects them, but for me, it's, I, keep, I always go back to the fact that they make art that wouldn't have happened if they had been healthy. Yeah. Like, I did a lot of skeletal work when I was sick because I was having a lot of skeletal pain, and that would have never happened if I had been healthy. So there's all this beauty that comes from illness, but then we also have the medical doctor there during the talks that I moderate, and they can answer any medical questions or bring it back into the curriculum and the conversation back in a way that sort of educates the med students.
1: That's amazing. It gives the med students such a full picture of the impact they have and what they're really facing, what the patient's facing.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's always interesting, I think, for them to see the effect they have. You know, I, when I give lectures to med students, I always talk about the fact that, like, I had, I've had several hip replacements. Mm-hmm. Those doctors couldn't pick me out of a lineup, but I think about them every single day. Yeah. because one of my hips is good and one was not so good mm-hmm. when it was done and every time I try to tie my shoes and it it's difficult for me cuz I can't bend down I think of that doctor yeah. and how he messed up and wouldn't admit he messed up so you know it's important that they might do 10 procedures a week and not think of their patients as people yeah whereas the patients are always going to remember them so it's really important for them to have a better bedside manner mm-hmm. And all the med schools now are, are being required to have sort of this humanistic approach and yeah. teach bedside manner. So I, my timing was right. Um, it's the only program like this in the country, so, wow. so I'm really happy. And I found great people at USC who sort of also believed it and worked on getting it funded and support me and protect me from all the politics of the school.
0: Oh, yeah. That's
1: important. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's really amazing work. Thank you. How um how does the medical students respond to the gallery or the artwork? Cuz I I'm assuming that that's kind of a different approach than they normally get to experience being in the medical school.
2: Well, different again different schools do it differently, and I'm starting to work with a few other schools now that don't have such full programs. At USC, there's 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 a whole program for teaching humanism, there's certain movies they watch, there's books they, they read, there's, you know, storytelling nights by both the doctors and the students, there's me, there's a music person. So, they're kind of getting used to the fact that they can emote. You know, there's a big burnout of med students, so a lot of this is also to sort of help them understand that there's an outlet for them. And there's also, you know, a lot of med students can be very good in the first and second year because they're it's, they're doing book learning, mm-hmm. and then they get out on the floor in the third and fourth years, and they have a hard time because they haven't had any experience dealing directly with patients or how to talk to them. So me bringing patients in, you know, in the old days they would bring in an actor to sort of pretend to be a patient, and I'm bringing in real patients to really talk about their their life situations
0: How have you found um, kind of the art world side responding to your work or the work that these other artists are doing
2: Well, so (laughs) uh, my standard line is nobody wants a colon reconstruction scar over their couch so people always tell me this is like the most moving work they've ever seen and and when, whenever it's in a gallery, people love it, but it doesn't really get picked up by the art world. Okay. You know, it's something... So I tend to show more in science galleries. I get, I get a lot of shows in universities, but it's not something, uh, you know, that a gallery in Chinatown here is probably going to pick up and try to sell someone's scar print, although... I, I think they look beautiful and they would look good there. I'm hoping eventually maybe some museum will come and buy you know, the collection at, at some point. Um, but it, it's interesting because I've gotten a lot of notoriety for this, whereas I, I've noticed that I'm getting asked less to be in shows about painting because I also paint. I always painted. I was in a lot of shows. I sold lots of paintings, but people were like, oh, you're the scar guy now. So it was, I had to really uh, come to terms with the fact that that's, you know, that's what took off for me, and it's given me the opportunity to go around the world and give lectures and do TED Talks and Aspen seminars and and things like that that I would have never gotten, even if I'd been a better-selling painter so, you know, you take your success where it comes, and I still paint, because I like to paint, and sometimes I get in shows, and sometimes I don't. But I still sell a pretty good amount, so just off Facebook and Instagram.
0: Uh, your other paintings, are they still related to um, this overarching concept that you have?
2: No, they're. once I started feeling better, I really sort of dropped the whole idea of doing work about myself. And that's one of, the, you know, one of the things I talk about when I bring all these patient artists into the med school is you know, people tend to have this view if if you're a writer, if you're Bukowski or somebody and you write about your life and you're a drunk and you did this and and your life is miserable, everyone's like that is the most amazing book. This person really told their story. But if you paint about the fact that you're in pain and you've had a hard life, people are like, oh, I'm not sure I want to see that. There's something so immediate about paintings, you know. And I think a lot of the artists that I show have that same problem where they don't get wall space. So that's one of the joys of doing this to me is that I can give wall space to these people that are doing amazing work about their brain cancer or their cystic fibrosis or or something like that but I'm not sure it's always work that is going to get shown in galleries and sold Mm -hmm. although some of it is exceptionally beautiful
1: is there um, I would imagine a big correlation between how the patient artists are using art um, in the healing process but is, is it coping is it I think it's just, uh, again, it's just like if
2: a writer did it, everybody would go, that's yeah. great. And when when painters do it, people seem to sort of want an explanation for it. Okay. But I sort of lost track on the last question, so I'll go go back to that. when When you're sick, whether you're a writer or you're a painter or a songwriter you become very self-centered because you only have so much energy. Being sick takes a lot Mm -hmm. of energy. You have to think about how much energy you have for the day, how long can you paint, how long can you stand, when do you take your medicine, what, you know, all these things. So it's not unusual, the point I was getting at, it's not unusual the fact that painters paint about their conditions. Same as a writer would, except that people accept it more Mm -hmm. from a writer. So, um... I don't know so much of people are consciously doing this. People Mm -hmm. just, like any art form, if you're focused on the fact that you are sick, that's what's going to come out on the canvas or in your song Mm -hmm. or your writing or or whatever. So I think it's a pressure valve for all of us to Mm -hmm. do and sort of emote. And we hope, just like any artist, that it tells our story to other people so they understand us more. But I don't, you know, I'm not an art therapist. I always say I'm the opposite of an art therapist because yeah. I'm trying to teach the doctors through the art, mm-hmm. not the patients. You know, I'm not. I have no credential in that. Yeah. So I, I just think anybody who's sick is going to spend a lot of energy on themselves, and that also gets back to once I didn't have to think about myself. Once the treatment came, I was so happy to start doing work. The, right after I had my first set of hip replacements and I started on my medicine, the first paintings I did were three figures sort of intertwined and they were very sexual, whereas the ones before the medicine and the hip replacements were individual figures, sort of isolated in a lot of pain, Mm -hmm. sharp and pointy edges, and the the post-operative ones are completely different. And it wasn't a conscious decision. Yeah. It just, that's what came out. And, you know, I, th- I think all these artists I work with, they do amazing work telling the stories of what happened to them. And it's not like they get up every morning and like, I'm going to use all the syringes that have come in in the last week, yeah. you know, for my diabetes and make art out of them. It's just, just the story they want to tell.
0: It's amazing. Where are you, um, finding your artists? Um, Do you do it online, or?
2: A lot of them find me now. You know, there's a certain point, I've been doing this long enough, where people will Google art and medicine, art and health, and I pop up. Um, But if I need specific things, like I recently needed somebody who, for um, one of the body systems, I wanted someone with liver. We, We hadn't had an artist that dealt with liver and I put a call out on Facebook on some different cities have different art groups Mm -hmm. and I'll just post on the artist sections and I got an artist that had had liver cancer and was doing some work about it and I'm curating a show in Minneapolis so I put I just went to their art section and said are there any artists in Minneapolis that are doing work about their illness and I five or six people wrote me Wow. so Craigslist is a good thing and Facebook is a good thing but I I get emails from people all over the world now that find me, and I'm going to be in L.A., can you print my scar? You know, So I've had people pop in from all over the place.
0: Do you take everyone that approaches you and says they have a scar? And
2: well, it depends. My basis is that it was a life-altering scar. So I don't want someone... People come up to me all the time and they point to, like, a little scar on their hand and <laughs> said, I fell off my bike when I was yeah. five. And I really would like, you know, a heart transplant. You got bit by a shark. You know, something something that has sort of a major story that altered your life. There's some I don't do now. I mean, I have a lot of hip replacements. I have a lot of... You know, there's a hundred and something in the collection now. Wow. Um I'll always do veterans. I'll always do people that have had a major life occurrence. But a lot of times it comes down to I can tell when people want it to finish the process. You know, when you have an operation, it's almost like a birthday. People remember I was in a car accident on June 5th and I was operated on on the 6th, but there's no end date to when you recuperate because you know the doctors will tell you you'll be fine in a month because the stitches are out and everything's holding together, but your body might not feel healed up for a year. Yeah. And that tends to be the time when people find me. Like They've come to terms with it, they're used to looking at the scar, they, they're ready to kind of put it behind them. So I can do a print and it's sort of this celebration of the end of everything they've been through. So if I get the sense that somebody sort of needs it for closure, I'll always do it. I I always enjoy it. I always enjoy talking to the people. We usually talk for about a half hour beforehand about what happened to them, how they deal with it, um, what good and bad was their medical experience, you know.
0: Do you have a favorite um, story that went with the scar?
2: Well, there's a couple. The first one, the the first one with the woman who told me to keep doing art about medicine was really important to me. Because that, much like that, uh, the woman at the hospital who told me I should incorporate art into my drawings, it, it was one of those things where even, you know, at five or six years old when she said it, it made sense to me. And when this woman said to me, you need to keep doing work about mobility issues, that made sense to me. Um, so hers is very important to me, and I have a few that are very good friends. That So one of them is a, a friend who had pancreatic cancer, which is almost always deadly, like 95%. And he's a very nice guy, and his girlfriend worked at a medical office, and they had just gotten an MRI machine, and she said, would you go in and let them uh, do a test of your knees, because you have to do so many tests to calibrate the machine before you can charge for it. And somebody was stuck in traffic who was going to do their torso, who was going to come in after him. So he said, you know what, I'm here, do my torso. And they found a tumor on his pancreas. Oh my gosh. And just so, just randomly, he's still alive now. Yeah. So yeah. stories like that. But I also have people who have given kidneys to people heart transplants, people who are alive because of other people's goodness. I mean, what's what's so amazing is is how, as a group, it is the nicest, most grateful people that appreciate the fact that they're still alive. And no matter what they've been through, they just, they understand they've been given a second chance. And in most cases, everybody's sort of, figured out a way to sort of really maximize the extra time mm-hmm. and that's what I like, it gets back to that story what are you going to do with you know, you've got a new heart what are you going to do to not only honor your own life but the person who gave you the heart and that's the story that I like that goes along with it so we were talking about it being an art project I I refer to it, even though it's art as a now it's a documentation mm-hmm. project, my paintings are art I do children's books, things like that. That's art. This is a gigantic documentation project now.
1: Have you ever reached out to someone specifically um, who has a unique scar that you want to add to the collection?
2: You know, early on when I started this, I would go up to people every once in a while Mm -hmm. if I saw they had a big scar and realized that not everyone is ready at certain times to talk about it. So now I... I don't. Okay. I only take volunteers. Yeah, And so I'll put a, a call out on, again, on Facebook mm-hmm. or something. And if people answer, a lot of times friends, I'll get an email saying, oh, my friend told me about you and thought I should contact mm-hmm. you. So I, I find a lot of people that way. Okay. But it's, you know, it's, since I kind of grew up in hospitals, I'm really comfortable talking about medical things. Mm-hmm. I always say I could, when I go visit people in the hospital, I could, Find a gurney in the hallway and fall asleep because that was sort of how wow. I grew up, but I know not everyone is like that, and it took me a while to learn that I can't just hey, how'd you get the scar out? How'd yeah. you lose your hand? How'd you lose your finger? you know yeah. not not mm-hmm. everyone wants to talk about it absolutely and I was going to say also the um as far as favorite ones, the veteran ones i I was very leery of doing any veterans because I was not for the first Iraq war. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I found it upsetting. But I had a, uh, my brother's son came back from Iraq and killed himself after several tours there. And I decided, well, maybe if I did some of these veterans, and I'm not explaining this well. When I was growing up in the Vietnam War you would see the veterans coming back and you saw what was happening to them and you saw them on T V and it's so sanitized now. So even though I have not served and even though I was not sort of a pro war person, mm-hmm. I wanted to tell the story of some veterans because I wanted people to see what they went through. And the scars on these veterans are horrific that I've got their missing legs, they're missing arms, they've all sorts of things um so these stories are sort of special because these guys when they tell their stories it's all about the the buddies they left behind the the men and women in their mm-hmm. that they were serving with whereas the general population is like I had a car accident I did this it gets back to that you know if it's medical it tends to be you but for the veterans it's it's about everybody and the community. So, you know, even after years of doing this, I've learned everyone's got their way of telling their story. And again, the, every scar means something different to somebody different.
1: That's incredible because you're offering a way for people to work through it and provide closure. Yep. It's really important.
2: Yeah. And it's it's also these, when I have these exhibits, and they usually have 40 or 50 mm-hmm. prints in them, it's not like a normal art opening where people sort of stand in the middle and they talk and they eat their cheese squares. People tend to start on one print and read the story and they move to the next one and they circle around the whole gallery. It's, it's just a different experience yeah. from, from other art shows. Are these
0: shows open to the public?
2: Yeah, yeah. Right now, um, depending on when people hear this, uh, we're in August of 2019. (laughs) I have a show up at the uh, American Association for the Advancement of Science in Washington, D.C., and there will be a show I'm doing with a Greek photographer in L.A. of just breast cancer and mastectomy scars um, in October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month in LA so they're all open to the public
0: and if someone was interested in going or getting in contact with you what's the best way to do that
2: they can look at my website which is tedmeyer.com and contact me through there
1: perfect awesome thank you so much sure thanks for
2: coming fantastic very
0: interesting um yes thank you very much thanks all right Love you guys. Bye.